Hi, this is Steve Wilson from Red Rose Radio, and in December 2023, I spoke to the only surviving member of the glam rock group, Sweet, Andy Scott. Massive portfolio of records with Sweet, uh, and you joined Sweet back in 1970, but you already had an established career before then, didn't you? Yeah, we. Um, I, I was in a band called the Silverstones, who had done a couple of things on Welsh television, and that led to us appearing on Huey Green's Opportunity Knock. Yeah. Uh, now, we won it for five weeks running. Wow. And Freddie Starr, the comedian singer, yeah. uh, beat us in, I think, the end of November, and he, he carried on through to Christmas. That Christmas show, the winner's show, was absolutely fantastic with everybody on it. Yeah. And because of that show, uh, we got uh, picked up by um, a Manchester agency, one of the big ones, who represented a lot of major acts. And we found ourselves supporting Jimi Hendrix wow. on his first tour um, at the New Century Hall um, in Manchester. It was a kind of place where you would see the Drifters or yeah, yeah. The, the Four Tops yeah. or The Temptations or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so when Jimmy came along, I think it was because they thought he was a soul singer. You know, the, the only song he'd had out was Hey Joe. Yeah. We, we actually went down our usual way. They all loved us and danced the night away. And when Jimmy went on, there was a few puzzled looks and <laughs> a few people started to wander off, <laughs> which is not, not nice for anybody. Well, but, no. but the singer of the, of the Silverstones and myself, we were on the side of the stage that I could have almost touched Jimmy. And I said to him, this is the future, mate. You know, because uh, a band like Cream had just been formed. Yeah. And, and, and we loved um, the Graham Bond organization and other bands. And we just happened to be, it, we just got to that point. We also loved the, the stacks and the, um, and the Tamla Motown scene. So uh, we, were, we were trying to bridge gaps. But in the end, we realized that a seven-piece soul band, you know, probably along the lines of um, Amen Corner, yeah. uh, was, was not really going to, there were rather a lot of them around. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, within six months, we'd split the band up, and we were called the Elastic Band after that. <laughs> and the weird thing is, before I joined Sweet, uh, we were doing these Radio 1, BBC Radio 1 roadshows. Yeah, yeah. Like, where we were the live band. They always had a live band on. And Sweet came along uh, to promote um, their single. Um, I think it was All You'll Ever Get From Me. Um, and we had a good chat backstage and everything. And then how was I to know a year later, I'd be standing in a rehearsal room with them, you know, um, playing along and just, um, get, getting some ideas together, um, in, in a kind of audition, Yeah, you know, you know, it, it, it's a small world sometimes. Isn't it just, isn't it just, what a fascinating story though. I mean, and, and for you as a guitar player to be almost on the same stage as Jimi Hendrix, I mean, you must have been in awe of the man, were you? Oh yeah, and he was doing that thing where he had two amps set up and he would put one guitar on the floor yeah. and, and throw lighter fluid on it. So, so, so you got this sort of aura of flames coming off it and then he'd be using his foot to keep the tremolo going and then he'd be playing the other guitar you know, in his hands, and <laughs> oh, it was. Um, it, let's put it this way: it was a an exercise in guitar playing perfection, really. And, and did you try it on your own? Oh, later on, <laughs> I tried all kinds of things. You know, I mean, yeah. I love Pete. Then, so quite a few of my guitars used to go bouncing off 
off my back line if I wasn't um, <laughs> uh, do if, if if it wasn't behaving. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you you joined Sweet in in summer of 1970, didn't you? And yet you had your first real hit in the UK in 1971, which was funny, yeah. funny. That I mean, that, you weren't a glam band then, were you? When, when when did you turn into a glam rock band? Because for me, it looks like almost when when Blockbuster came out was when you turned into a a, a glam rock band. Was that right? No, it was probably a year earlier than that. We, um, we, we were a, a, a like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, we, we were a band that, that was more akin when we played live to Deep Purple and bands like that. Yeah, uh, but um, having met um, Nicky Turner, Mike Chapman, and the producer Phil Wayneman, they had some songs that needed recording, and uh, you either you either pitch yourself in and say, "Yeah, we're all in," or you don't. Yeah. We heard Funny Funny and thought, that's going to be a hit. Brian was magnificent in those days. Yeah. And we, we just went along with it. We got, and this is what changed things. We got to the end of 71, and uh, they released um, uh, a song that none of us had um, great faith in, uh, called Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just about made the top 30. Um, and we all thought, well, that's it then. We've had two hits, that'll, that'll have to do. <laughs> yeah. um, but then Mike Chapman, um, what we should have done is we shouldn't have released um, that. We should have just waited and released Papa Joe because um, on the back of Alexander Graham Bell, which uh, it, it's amazing, isn't it? All over Europe where we've been having amazing success, even Alexander Graham Bell wasn't really being picked up upon. Yeah. So it's not, it's not just the fact that Oh, England didn't like it. Nobody really liked it, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And was and, that one of Papa, their songs as well? Yeah, but, but Papa Joe in, in in Scandinavia was like one of our really, really big hits. Yeah. So time we go there, um, even even at the Sweden uh, Rock Festival that, that, we, that we played a few times, we were there one year, and I said, we're not doing any of the old stuff. We're, you know, we, we might do Wigwam Bam, but nothing before that. Yeah. And the whole crowd starts singing Papa Joe. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't, you can't win sometimes. No, no. You know? And, and you ha- I guess you, at some point you have to play to the audience's requests as well. I mean, they're coming to watch you and paying the money, so they, they want to hear their favourite songs. But it is. It, yeah. and, and it's different parts of Europe like different types of music as well, don't they? I guess it's very difficult to plan a set. Um, we found ourselves um, by the mid-70s because we were going to... America as well, uh, we, we decided to, well, we're not going to compromise. We're, we're turning more into a heavy rock band than a, than a pop band. Yeah. It would be songs like Blockbuster. Would we play that every time? You know, it would be things like that. We'd always play Hellraiser, uh, Ballroom Blitz, um, Fox on the Run, you know, songs like that, the 16. But would, would we play Blockbuster? That would be... Um, yes, let, let's do it tonight. You know, it was. Yeah, yeah. But 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 we'd had two quite heavy rock albums that that flew up the charts as well. So the audience was changing with us as well. And there was a point, wasn't there, Andy, where, when you were really in the in the in the thick of the the glam rock era, where you you were probably the biggest band in the country at the time, weren't you? Uh, I would say uh, Mark Boland is, is to blame for all of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We met at the end of 1971 in Germany at a, an awards ceremony. He was 
picking up the award for the best artist and we were picking up the award for the best newcomers and we were having a drink in the bar afterwards and we're looking at him and thinking, yeah, he's much sharper dressed than we are. He's got this sparkle in his hair and he's got these clothes that, you know, you're thinking, where the hell did he get those clothes? <laughs> Start asking him. Yeah. And instead of going, you know, go away, lads, you know, find your own, he, he told us where, where he was going. Really? You know, to get his clothes. He said, don't go messing around the, the Kenny Market or uh, Beaver on um, Kensington High Street. He said, go and have a word with these, these guys. And uh, we actually found a couple of places. And um, there were a couple, a couple of people in the basement who started to work for us solely, you know, making clothes for us. Yeah. You know, and that, that was that. They, they kind of formed their own little business out of it. And, of course, you know, you've been on top of the pops. You can't wear the same thing twice. No, no, no. You know, it's, um, it was, we're off then. And, and quite truthfully, 72, 73 were the, were, were the years of really of glam rock. By 74, things were, were, were moving away. You, you can see it, especially the, the way we were dressed. And we were starting to, to get interest from America in 74. So we were not going to be going over there dressed in, you know, satins and, um, <laughs> yeah. and, and glitter and, and all of that. We were probably... Uh, Mark Bolan had, had a couple of hits. Uh, Bowie hadn't really had much success in America at that time. Uh, but um, we, we as a band were probably, Slade, Slade didn't, didn't manage to, to get anything away. Um, I think we were probably the only band from that 72, 73 era who actually managed to get some, some stuff in the top, top five and, you know, albums in the, in, in the top 20 and stuff like that. So, you know, there must have been something there that that, that they latched onto. Well, and when when you're so successful, and and obviously not just in the UK, you mentioned Europe, and you were very successful across Europe, and then in America, how demanding is it on 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 individuals and on the group to to, to maintain the the intensity that the, that the business requires? I mean, it it must be quite draining on you, really. We were a lot younger. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and yes, it is. I mean, it puts a strain on your relationships. I mean, you're, you're more married to the band than you are yeah. to your wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, when, I, when I now look back, the Brian, you know, the, the alcoholism that, that, that took over. When I first joined the band, he used to do virtually everything. He would make sure that we had the band, you know, that the, the, that the gigs were coming in and, you know, that we had somewhere to stay if necessary or we'd all be sleeping in the van that night. Yeah. You know, it was, he was like the organizer. And of course, as time goes on, Brian can't be the organizer. He's the lead singer in a very successful group, yeah. band. Yeah. So he can't be doing the business. He can't be doing any of that. And I think that, especially going to America, you arrive two or three days early. I'm off down the guitar shop. Uh, we're meeting up for dinner in the evening, and he's not showing up. And we're starting to realize that what, what he's doing is he's not getting up until the afternoon, getting a little bit merry with... Um, with a bottle of gin or something and then not bothering having any dinner <laughs> yeah. and, and then waking up in the middle of the night and, and trying to go out somewhere. And, and it, you've got to get yourself into a, a routine. And I'm afraid, I think that w when you take away some, something that, that was important to somebody in, in his case, I think that that maybe is what happened. Yeah. You know, it, 
difficult one, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you say routine. It's got to be a disciplined routine, hasn't it? And I guess with, with Brian, it, it was too late before he realised what damage had been done. But it, it was a, it was a, just a shadow of his former self, wasn't it, really, at the end of all that? It, it was a real shame. And when you were talking earlier about there being, you know, two or three versions of Sweet out there. Yeah. Um, Brian was, he, there was a band called Blackfoot Sue back in the 70s. Yeah. And they became Brian's backing band. All right. You know, they, they were called the Brian Connolly Band. And then, of course, promoters want to use the word sweet. So it was Brian Connolly's tweet. Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff was yeah. going on. Now, in the meantime, Mick Tucker and I had carried on um, being sweet um, with, with, with other members. And Steve was just not interested at all in any of it. We, we wanted Steve to come back and be the bass player and, and to be one of the singers. But, you know, he, he, he'd moved to America and that was it. He, he, he was out there. And then about 2010, I think it was, um, I got a route. Well, I'll tell you how we found out. Um, a gig, um, uh, kind of a, a Midwest um, country fair festival was being put on. And my agent received um, a contract for this Midwest Fair, saying the suite playing this festival. Yeah. And he thought, what the hell is this? <laughs> so got hold of somebody that he knew out there, and they came back. He said, you'll never believe it, but Steve's got involved with a couple of these L.A. musicians who um, haven't really made it, but they're the kind of musicians who would, would play with, with all and sundry, yeah. you know, bands and all that and they, they've convinced him to go back on the road as the suite so, so I, I sent him a message saying uh, do you think contacting me would have been a better idea than, than you just jumping you know back onto the road yeah, yeah, with, yeah. with you know because all he's going to do is it's going to diffuse the situation yeah so um, I got a message back saying I just wanted to do some gigs again and I thought oh, well well like I don't want to stop him, you know. He's interested in doing gigs. Maybe we will actually get together again. Yeah. But but it never happened. And he went um, downhill, really. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, while he's been living in America, that he he put on a hell of a lot of weight and he was um, uh, hitting the bottle as well. So, you know, it's, um, it's a sad state of affairs when all three of your your bandmates are no longer with you. I've, I've got nobody to rail against. Oh, well, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, even though you went your separate ways, did you stay friends? Brian used to call me up. Everybody used to think that that, that we hated each other. We, did, we didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was very honest with him. I said, Brian, you can't sing anymore, mate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, the, the audience would love to see you, but but, but you can't go on stage and sing the, the, the way you have been. Yeah. Uh, and, and Mick and I were were friends because we we held the band together into the 90s until he fell ill with his um, leukemia. And then Steve, he and I used, used to talk, um, and then all of a sudden I didn't hear from him for, for a couple of years. And then I realized what was going on. He, he'd met a couple of guys, you know, like a drummer and a guitarist, and um, they, were, they were obviously they were talking him into going back on the road kind of thing. Nothing untoward happened. Uh, nobody died, you know, anybody who saw Steve play would have been thrilled. Yeah. Anybody who saw Brian play would have been thrilled. So, you know, uh, we are where we are now. We are. Know? 
and 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 there is now the Andy Scott uh, Suite, which is touring uh, this year, the Full Circle tour. I mean, how long has the band as it is now been together? Right, I've got a drummer who's been with me for thirty-two years. Wow! I had a band that have been together since the beginning of the two thousands, and in twenty eighteen, the the singer wanted to do this um, a singer songwriter trio, uh, acoustic guitars, and all of that. Uh, and and I said, well, that that's going to be fabulous, but I don't think you would, you're going to be able to be in that and in Sweet because there's bound to be clashes. And then he said, well, maybe you could just not book any gigs while I'm doing this other thing. And I thought, <laughs> that's the wrong way around that. Yeah. Now, we, we had a guy depping for uh, the keyboard player and, and the singer, uh, the one who's with us now, Paul. So it was obvious that Paul was going to be the singer. And we just needed to find a a bass player and um, a, and a keyboard player guitarist. Start with the um, the bass player. He was somebody that um, I already knew who'd been you know gigging with bands like um, um, Magnum and, and and stuff like that. Yeah, he yeah. got a grip, so he was an obvious choice. Uh, and all this started about five years ago. Uh, we got offered a, um, a a rock cruise just after the the singer said, "I want to do this thing," and I thought, "You've got to bite the bullet." and change the band. Yeah. And the best way to do it is we went to Australia, got on this cruise, and put the band pulled together brilliantly. I've got a lot of Australian music friends, and they all came to me afterwards and said, how long have you been together? And I said, well, that was our first <laughs> first few gigs on yeah. this boat. Yeah. And they went, you'd never know. Yeah. So, so we've been together now for about five years. So. Excellent. And what a yeah. what a great compliment! I mean, to, to have your first gig and everybody think you've been together for for some time—that's it's a great compliment, isn't it? It is. Let's talk about the tour then. Um, well, we'll talk about the tour in a few moments. I want to talk about the new single that you've you've got to accompany the tour. I mean, it's called "Sweet Changes," which I have to say, I, I listened to it the first time, and it wasn't what I was expecting because it wasn't like traditional sweet. But second time of listening, it's a good record, isn't it? I mean, what's the history? What's the story? You won't believe it, but I wrote it back in 1972. Did you really? Yeah. Um, and we were uh, looking to see if we could write a song rather than just keep recording, you know, Chin and Chapman songs. Yeah. And it never got used. Um, and then we started to record the slightly heavier rock album, uh, Sweet Fanny Adams, and it just didn't seem to fit. And it, it stayed on the shelf. Yeah. Um, and then um, along the way, it just kind of got forgotten about. And then a friend of mine, um, after the band uh, in the 80s um, and 90s, I, I gave this friend of mine who works with me in the studio, I used to give him a box of cassettes. Because I, I said, I'm not listening to all those cassettes in there. And he used to listen to them yeah. and see if, if there was anything there, make notes, and, and just say to me, I think I found a couple of ideas here. you know, And, and he'd play them to me. Uh, and, I, and then it all came flooding back. Um, uh, Bowie released a song called Changes, yes, yeah. which probably in my mind when I stopped, when I decided not to use it, you know. Um, and um, the guy who's been working with me in the studio, this young uh, kid, um, he's not that young, he's 29, but he, he's the studio engineer in my studio, and he's a great guitar player as well. Um, he went away, and he we do these things called maps, where we uh, get a drum track, and a bass track and a couple of guitars to see how the arrangement of the song could go. And he went away and did a map and played it for me. And I said, 
well, that has now sparked it into life. Yeah. We need to do this song yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. And that's how it went. It went from there. I stuck all my stuff on there. It's my voice that's singing it. Yeah. Uh, on this particular occasion, you know, so. And I've got to ask you, because I, I listened to the record a few times, and I, th- I did think, I've got, I need to see who's singing this song, so I did what, I've looked at the video as well. I mean, yeah. is, is that your hair? Because you've got a fabulous head of hair on you. Yes, it is. Uh, on, on the Facebook site, there's people who come in, you know, um, I, I wouldn't exactly call them trolls, because they, they, something happens, and a sweet thing pops up on their Facebook. Yeah. This is what Facebook's all about. Yeah. So what do they do? They come over and, and have a look around and go, God, is that a wig? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and at one point, I, I actually got somebody to go on there and basically said, well, if you think it's a wig, um, then um, maybe we should say it's a wig. Maybe we should say um, that um, he gets all his wigs from um, Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah. So started a rumor that, that Lady Gaga was sending me wigs. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's believable. I have to say, it's it's a fabulous head of hair you've got there, and it's bl- long blonde hair for people that have not seen it. But uh, fabulous, well, fabulous. Well, there's a story behind that. When I got my um, diagnosis for my prostate cancer, this same friend who works in the studio with me um, said, "Hmm, okay, you're going to you're going to have some treatment." Then he said, "I think maybe we should go out and buy some hats," because he thought you're going to lose all that hair yeah, of yours. Yeah, yeah. And at that time, my hair was like a, a mousy brown. Um, and I used to help it along with, you know, uh, get rid of the gray for men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, I had some treatment for the, um, for the cancer. And my hair didn't, didn't go anywhere. It was still there. And I thought, I'm not going to have it cut. So I just let it grow. Yeah. And part of my recuperation was um, my third wife now, my wife, her son lives in California. So we went out, and we were out in California for two months, uh, just basically pottering about, living, you know, just doing uh, doing next to nothing, really. Yeah. And I, um, one morning, she, she looked at me, and she went, you're turning into a beach bum. You know, your hair is a natural kind of blonde um, sun kiss <laughs> color. Yeah. And she said, and I'm really jealous. Because <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, I've got hair that, the color that she would probably like. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, and, and most other women, I should think, as well. Yeah, well, from there on, um, I've come home. I haven't done anything to it other than just wash it and, and have it lightly trimmed once in a while. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Well, it's fabulous, I have to say. Uh, really, really jealous. So, uh, most of the songs then from the seventies uh, that you sing—I mean, they, they were pretty. Uh, what, what can you call them? They were—they were household songs, weren't they? So, I'm guessing there's a lot of audience participation with the blockbusters and the week. Well, I'm guessing you do Wigwam Bam and Little Willie and all those. I mean, there must be some good sing-along uh, activities going on there as well, is there? Yeah, there is, and I keep saying to the lead singer Paul, I said, if you think you're going to forget the lyrics. Just have a look at the front row. <laughs> yeah, just hand them the microphone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Well, listen, uh, thank you very much for sharing your stories with us. Uh, have a fabulous tour. And uh, if you do another tour in 2024, let's, uh, let's have another chat. But for now, Andy Scott, thank you for your time. Yeah, that, that'd be lovely.